You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Petrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Once Upon the Turnbuckle and this is the second part in the feature that I'm calling I Was There When um, which obviously the uh, if you've not yet heard the first part um, you know, go back, uh, go back, check it out last week's episode where I talk about my own personal experience of seeing the WWF live um, and this, this feature really came about from I guess just um, this fascination really of of what it must have been like to see you know particular you know, major events or major angles uh, in the wrestling world live in person so I uh, uh, when I, I thought last year about doing the episode that I did last week on, on when I was at One Night Only back in 97 um, and also just, just seeing some comments in mutual Facebook groups that I'm in with other fans and other people sort of saying you know what they've seen live or discussions around a certain event and people saying yeah I was there you know it got me thinking what I, I really wanted to find out from other fans you know what it was like being you know, you know witnessing these things these things live so I I reached out in a number of these groups and also some podcasting groups um, for fellow wrestling fans who would like to, you know, come on and have a chat and you know recall their own memories, um, and this is the product of that. So what you'll have in this episode is um, conversations that I've had with uh, with fellow fans who who have, have seen certain things live, um, very noteworthy stuff, and it was brilliant to talk to other fans. You know, it's always great to talk to people within the wrestling industry. But, you know, I think growing up at a time when I didn't really have many friends who I could talk to to about about wrestling because it it, it wasn't the it wasn't the thing back then, you know, it wasn't a cool thing to admit you were a wrestling fan. So I didn't have a great network of friends that I could I could talk to. So it's it, it's great having social media and the, the means now to to share these experiences and have these conversations so i think i think i was planning on this just being this this two part you know this being the, the second and the last part but you know from the responses i've got um there's still people that i haven't yet been able to to hold these conversations with who were interested so i think this will probably become a recurring feature down the line again it's it's something i had so much fun with that i definitely want to do again so um so yeah, this is uh, the, the, what you'll have in this episode. Like I say, is just a, just 
the few conversations I've had so far and and I've just I've lifted um you know parts of each conversation you know and, and put them all together so I hope you enjoy it we're going to start off with um the first the first Canadian on my show which was uh, which is quite noteworthy in itself really I thought um but uh, yeah it's my conversation with Andrew LaSalle check it out I'm from St. John New Brunswick Canada I currently live in Vancouver and my first exposure to wrestling, I didn't realize what it was. Um, I was flipping through the channels one morning and I saw on either Good Morning America or Today or one of those early daytime shows, it was Mr. T sitting there with someone who wasn't Hannibal Smith from the A-Team. And I thought, who's this guy? I, like, I was quite familiar with Mr. T and the A-Team was my favorite show, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize it was Hulk Hogan. He could have been Adam for all I know. Wow. And that was my first memory of anything wrestling. And then I remember vividly the LJN wrestling figures, uh, ah, seeing, yes. seeing them at the, the stores. And I didn't really have any interest in them. They just looked like big hunks of rubber. And <laughs> I didn't have any knowledge of who they were. They were just on the pegs and mm-hmm. I didn't care. And I remember asking my grandfather to bring me home like a He-Man figure and he right. brought home Hulk Hogan and I, I feigned interest. I was like, yay. <laughs> and I opened it up and it had that new toy smell. And I thought, you know, I can get behind this. Nice and a couple of toys later, I remember getting Iron Sheik and then I remember getting Andre the Giant. And we went to our cabin. Uh, this was shortly after the Santa Claus parade. And I remember I was playing with my Andre the Giant toy and a friend of the family saw saw me playing with it and he said oh I see you have Andre the Giant there and I looked at him in total bewilderment because I didn't know that these were based on real people I thought it was like a G.I. Joe or He-Man or okay. Marshall Bravestar and as a young boy the thing that I valued the most and the thing I always strive for was acceptance from an adult so mm-hmm. if an adult had an interest in my interest I was all set. And I think that's really why a lot of boys get into sports so that they can have that adult conversation with adult men. And I'm the type of fellow that doesn't go into anything with half my buttocks. I I use the whole ass and (laughs) I got really into the wrestling magazines, especially if the cover had someone bleeding. And I remember just being really hardcore into it almost immediately. I, I, just remember reading about the history, having Bruno Sammartino be my favorite wrestler without ever having seen him just from the fact that he had been the champion for so long. Cool. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really interesting sort of hearing that side of it from another fan. You know, I've spoken to other guys about how they got into the industry, but it's nice to hear from someone else. It's a similar kind of thing with me. I discovered it through one of my cousins. And then once I knew what it was, that was it. I, I was there and I wanted everything. You know, and that was that was my childhood, pretty much wrapped around that. So it's it's good to there's something about wrestling, I think, which really does stay with you. Oh, it creates lifelong bonds. Like two of my best friends, we bonded because of our mutual appreciation of professional wrestling, and I can't imagine that being like that for with basketball, football, hockey, anything else, no. even movies, you know, or TV shows. It's just because it's too all encompassing. There's too many baseball fans to just yeah. say hey we're lifelong fans because we're both fans of a sport but pro wrestling it brings people together it does it does and so talking about bringing people together then i think the one the fascinating thing for me is what it's like to see it live because i only 
um as by the time this goes out people will know that i only went to see wwf once being in the uk it wasn't over all that often um but sort of i often dream being in america you got to see endless amount of shows you know if you were willing to travel so far so i mean talk about do you remember like the first time you saw it live or well i remember the first time i saw wrestling live which was different than wf i didn't see wf immediately mm. um our home territory was called Atlantic Grand Prix Wrestling, although when I got involved with it, it was called World Grand Prix Wrestling because they wanted to appear more national because they were competing mm. with Coliseum home videos and stuff. Sure. And I remember my uncle and aunt took me and I was so excited. And it was my first exposure to the card is subject to change because okay. the, the, the promoted event was not what I saw. Um, I was expecting a, a tag match main event with Leo Burch and the Cuban Assassin against the Spoiler and Nikita Karmlikov, but it wound up being two singles matches. Okay. And um, that was great. Uh, I loved it. It was, uh, it was very interesting to a, I, I think it was six or seven, because mm -hmm. I remember them brawling up into the stands right, right around us. And mm -hmm. that was fun. My first WF show was a was a house show in montreal i was visiting family there uh, when i was 10 this would have been in august of 1990 shortly before SummerSlam 90 okay. and the the thing that really stands out for me from that show well other than everything because i remember every match and all the outcomes is it's crazy like i couldn't tell you what happened on we three years ago or hell on on monday night no. but i can tell you distinctly what happened in that show and included uh, Axe and Crush against the Heart Foundation. It was during that era when I remember reading the arena reports in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And in one show, there may be Axe and Smash, another mm -hmm. one Smash and Crush. But the, the rarest combination was Axe and Crush. Yeah, and that's what I saw. That's cool. That's something worth noting. What did you think of Crush back then as Demolition? I remember, well, I... The term smart mark certainly applied to me as, as a young boy. I, I think it was because of the magazines. They always made it seem like the NWA and AWA and Mid-South were superior to the more cartoonish mm -hmm. WWF. So I always had that mentality. And I was a huge Demolition fan in 1989. Yeah. Uh, I remember whining like a little baby when uh, Demolition were eliminated from their survivor series match at survivor series 89 and so i was a huge demolition fan but i was also a big road warriors fan from before that um animal was the first ever wrestler i was for halloween um, oh wow yeah uh with regards to crush i i thought it changed something because it was not the first but one of the first non-turns that I, I remember where there wasn't a single event that caused someone to go from babyface to heel mm. or fan favorite to rule breaker. It just all of a sudden we were supposed to boo them. And mm. I just thought Crush was just another guy. Yeah, he was bigger, but he didn't have the the pedigree that Action mm. Smash had. Also didn't have the, the support, like, no. Years and years of, of being on TV uh, that Axe and Smash had, whereas Crush was just sort of sh showed up one day yeah. and we were expected to care about him. 
I think I, when I, so I wasn't following wrestling at that point. It was more sort of 91, 92 that I got into it. Mm-hmm. So I remember the Kona version of Crush when he came in. Yeah. And I, I think it was the colours and that really grabbed me. I thought, this guy looks really cool. And, you know, I remember cheering him on when he was meeting Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title. Looking back at it now, I can see there wasn't really much chance he was going to get get over him then. But and then it just went away to nothing, really. I think he, I've, heard, um, I've heard interviews about Brian Adams since, and I think the consensus is he was quite green back then. Yeah, but, well, it's, it's so crazy to think about because Demolition had appeared at WrestleMania 7 in March or April of 91. And then he comes back in early 92 or mid 92 as Kona Crush, mm-hmm. same name. And they never acknowledged that he was in demolition. And, and wrestling fans are very forgiving. We'll just accept anything that you put in front of us. Like, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, I was completely with that. It's like, I never understood why they never made that connection. Um, I remember SummerSlam 92 when they put him against Repo Man. That was, it was like, we're seeing demolition against each other and nobody's demolition saying Demolition explodes. <laughs> and I was, brought up to, I was brought up to believe, you know, my cousin, I think, made me believe a few odd things. Like he made me believe that the original Doink the Clown was Axe, was Billy D. So when they got to WrestleMania 9, I was like, oh my God, he's doing it again. You know, he's, he's going up against demolition again, but it wasn't, obviously. But, uh, so let's, let's move on because we, we did... We did connect over one particular thing um, when I put a post out about this. And you, you were at a particular event in, in 95, which had something fairly notable on it. So, uh, share. Yeah, it was something that I didn't realize was notable at the time. And I didn't even realize it was notable shortly afterwards because in Canada, we didn't have Nitro Live until, mm-hmm. I want to say, October or November of 97. So we would get... Uh, worldwide on Saturdays, which would usually be a week behind. Uh, and then there would be a section on in Worldwide where they would have their WCW report, kind of mm-hmm. like how superstars would have the WF Magazine report with Mean Gene hosting. This yeah. was similar. It was Mean Gene, but with WCW. And they showed Lex Luger showing up on Nitro. And I thought, oh, wow, I just saw him live. Um, <laughs> And it was the last WF show that Luger was on. It was Lex and Shawn Michaels against Yokozuna and Owen Hart. That was our main event. That's a very unique, not unique necessarily, but it's a very interesting pairing, I think, Lex Luger and Shawn Michaels, because I, I could have imagined it back in 93, I think, where, around like WrestleMania 9, because they were both up against Mr. Perfect, I suppose, around that time. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that they would put them together in... In 95, was it a result of a, cha- a card change or? No, that, that, was, that was the announced ma- match. Uh, I believe Davy Boy had turned heel not that long beforehand. Mm. Um, and also with house shows, especially around that time, it seemed like it was very random as far mm. as the matches. Like I remember just uh, a couple of years later, it seemed that the big thing was when they announced triple threat matches were, yeah. were now a thing. And it could be any three guys, whether they had animosity with each other or not, it was just a match. Yeah. And as a youngster, especially growing up in the eighties, I didn't mind that so much. I know a lot of modern fans need personal issues for matches. They have mm-hmm. to have an angle or be involved in a feud but when you're used to squash matches, whenever you would get like a Bad News Brown versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan or Ted DiBiase yeah. versus Jimmy Snooker, it didn't matter that, that there was no angle. It was like, wow, two name guys. Who knows who's going to win? 
And this is I because I my main experience with WWF or my only experience was was a major event. I was at the the one night only pay per view in '97, um, and my cousin was at SummerSlam '92. So we didn't get. I've not had an experience of a, a house show of the WWF, you know, or WCW or anything. So it always intrigued me when I would pick up like some of the independent magazines over here and read some of the results because they're matches you wouldn't necessarily see on TV. Certainly not. On oh, TV. that was the appeal. Yeah. Like I saw weird stuff like Mo versus Barry Horowitz or Terry <laughs> Taylor versus Typhoon. And right. I, I love that because you don't know who's going to win. Well, Mo and Barry Horowitz, he kind of yeah. did. But with stuff like Luger and Sean against Owen and Yoko, I never had any preconceived notions that I was going to see a title change because Owen and Yoko were the tag champs at yeah. the time. Yeah. But you didn't know how they were going to retain the titles because yeah. usually heels didn't go over in the, in the finish, but it was like a screwed up DQ counted or something like that. But the one thing I really remember about that match, uh, Luger gave Owen the customary – 10 smashes to the turnbuckle with the holding yeah. the back of the head yeah. that spot that's kind of gone the way of the dodo bird in recent years but it wasn't they didn't just stop at 10 they went to 40 and i remember <laughs> yoko in the corner holding his mouth busting a gut because <laughs> all the that, stories about owen being a river i mean it was it was obvious right there in that match that's brilliant isn't it because yeah you you hear about these as well at house shows that there are they're in jokes with the guys in the ring you know they do things it's more loosey doosey yeah that's brilliant I, I have been to see a televised show uh my first one was last uh, valentine's well not valentine's of 2021 but valentine's of 2020 right before the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and it was my first ever tv taping it was a smackdown along with 205 live and it was night and day different between the house shows. I much prefer the house shows because it's not as rigid. It's not as timed out. It's not as much downtime. Yeah. And I remember at the time thinking, I really want to see a pay-per-view or I really want to see a TV taping. I wanted to see something that I could go back and, and look at it later on on the network or on mm -hmm. tape and, you know, see, see a title yeah. change or, or yeah. see a, a big historical moment. But as I've gotten older, I realized that the house shows, you could tell the wrestlers had way more fun because they had more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's necessary. It's not something that's going to be broadcast, is it? You know, they can do these odd little things just for the people that are there. I think for Owen being in his own, his own in Canada, you know, he's taking one in his, in his, <laughs> in his home country to, you know, just, just be the full guy almost, but you can imagine him doing that. So. Yeah. It was brilliant. So, um, have you got, have you been in, did you grow up in Canada? Have you been there all your life, did you say? Yeah. 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 I, uh, I lived in St. John until I was 25. I moved out here uh, to Vancouver uh, 15 and a half years ago. I'm 40 now. And when I moved out here, I was able to see some ECCW, Elite Championship or Canadian Championship Wrestling, uh, formerly WCCW, West Coast Championship Wrestling. Okay. Uh, a, a lot of big names have, have worked this territory um brian danielson uh becky wow. lynch as i can't remember her old name a uh, rebecca lynch lynn or something like that right. um and that was fun seeing it in smaller venues and just yeah. being able to hear the wrestlers see the action up yeah. close. what was your opinion of 95 for the world of wrestling <laughs> i hated it i absolutely hated it because <laughs> i was old enough to remember when it was good it's kind of like right now yeah. when people talk about how wrestling's 
better than it ever has been. I'm thinking, I, I've seen the ratings. I, I know that that's not yeah. the case. Yeah. I, I, I lived when there was a lot of opportunities. If somebody had gotten stale, they could just go to another territory and freshen them up all over again. Whereas now you have guys like Randy Orton who have been on TV since 2002. Yeah. And there'll be countless guys that are sitting there in catering and they'll say, uh, creative has nothing for you, but they always have something for Randy Orton. There's, yeah. He's always on the show. And it's like, I don't care. Just doing and, the same thing, same thing yeah. for years. It's, it's one of the reasons I, I don't tend to watch it really now. I, I, I'm very, very loyal to this particular area that I grew up with because that's, you know, emotionally, that's what takes me back. And same as guys who have grown up with it now probably have no recollection or no interest of what happened 20 years ago. But, um, but you know, 95, I did a show on it earlier in the, in the series because that to me, it's one that sticks in my mind for the right and wrong reasons, to be fair. The product was pretty dire. Oh, it was awful. Uh, <laughs> but 95 is a, is a tale of two years in a way. You have pre-Nitro and you have post-Nitro. Yeah. yeah. And everything pre-Nitro was just the shits. I, <laughs> I, I, right now, I'm a bit of a retrophile. I'll watch older stuff. I'll watch uh, World Class, Mid-South, uh, NWA. Uh, old school WF, yeah. and I'm dreading when I get to 95. I'll probably just say no, thanks. I don't want to watch it it's <laughs> because I, I lived it. I, I was there. I remember it just being in, imagination bankrupt. It was, it was just they were. It's to me again, just just one opinion, but I, I'm sure there's some out there that do agree with it. They were trying the WWF anyway. Were trying to build a company around the wrong person. <laughs> so going back to that that show with with Luger's last match, can you remember any of the other matches that you were subjected to? Uh, there was Hakushi against One Two Three Kid. No, sorry, it was Duke the Dumpster Drozzy subbing for Kid. Um, there was also uh, Bertha Faye against Alundra Blaze. Uh. Um, gosh, I, I honestly can't remember much else on that card. It's because... a, a bit of a SummerSlam rerun. In places, yeah, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> also, it was my first exposure to a guy by the name of Isaac Yankum because I didn't see ah, SummerSlam, okay. and and this house show happened like a week or so after SummerSlam, and it it was in the era when you'd wait until there was a Coliseum home video release to see the pay per view, and I don't think Yankum had been on TV yet, so it was my first time seeing him was live. That also happened uh, a few years later with Mordecai. Uh, oh okay, wow, that's a that's a that's a name that doesn't uh, doesn't come up all that often. No, and there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> I was going to say when you when you were about to mention Hakushi and the One Two Three Kid, actually looking at SummerSlam, that was probably my well, take Sean and Razor out of the equation, I suppose, yeah. was probably the best match on the card to me. It was it was a good opener. It was, you know, the only one thing that got me interesting in watching the rest of it. Yeah, well, that was '95 in a nutshell. I mean, there's there's a few good workers sprinkled throughout the cards, but usually it was just a, a whole mess. Like, don't even get me started on Kinsling. But uh, <laughs> oh uh, no, yeah, the one the one we'd rather forget. Yeah, well, the thing is, in St. John, uh, we were kind of like a seat town. Um, our our arena could really only hold maybe four or five thousand people, maybe maybe nine thousand tops like I, I don't even think nine thousand. that's so we would get a lot of the feuds that were kind of cold at that point um mm -hmm. and lex luger was like our guy i remember seeing him uh main event a show against ludwig borga and then against crush and then 
teaming up with Sean against Yoko and Owen. So three straight shows where Luger was the headliner okay. and it turned out to be his last show. Was there any, any hint at that point that he was on his way out? No, no, he, he's, he like smiling and stuff. I remember he seemed to be having a good time. And I remember thinking that was a really good match because the past few house shows that I had been to, the matches were either short or very safe. Like nobody wanted to get hurt yeah. for, you know, a few hundred people. Uh, my name is uh, Robert Lynch. I'm from Ottawa, uh, Ontario, Canada. And um, actually used to live a number of years. My, my family's from Edinburgh. So. Oh, okay, cool. cool yeah, cool. so we've been back, back and forth over the years. Awesome. Yeah, I've never, never ventured up that far. I'm sort of southwest, south and southwest England, so I'm about as far from nice. as you can get at the minute. But, oh, awesome. And you actually, I, um, so you're the second, second person I'm speaking to for this episode. And okay. you're um, the second Canadian. And actually the first Canadian was the one just before you, oddly enough. Right so, on. You're right on. Through. You're coming through. So, um, we love our wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of in terms of wrestling, how long have you been a wrestling fan, and sort of when was it that you first kind of discovered it for yourself? Uh, for me, really, it, it goes back to probably Rocky Three was okay. was the first. Yeah, and, and you know, it coincided at the time. I'm I'm, I'm 44 next month, and um, you know, at that time, VHS home cassettes were 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 in its infancy. And I just remember um, A-Team was really taking off. So Rocky Three became a big thing with Mr. T. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, Thunderlips, Hulk Hogan. Sure. And yeah. that was kind of my introduction as we were kind of kicking into to the first WrestleMania. And, you know, B.A. from the A-Team and Rocky was, was, was going to be in WrestleMania. And that's really what, what set it off for me as, as a kid. as was about five or six years old at the time. Brilliant. So how, um, in, in terms of when you you first saw it live in person did that come quite soon after you got into it or was there the opportunity to see it or did you have to wait until sort of later years i was probably about um seven or eight years old before i saw my first live show and it, it turned out to be uh, um, what we would now call an indie show hmm. um, and we're talking in a in a sort of a a hawk an ice hockey rink um in the middle of summer with you know a piece of string uh, we were you know my dad and i were ringside with a piece of string Brilliant. uh between the wrestlers <laughs> and um you know looking back there was a lot of older people that maybe a lot of fans might not know that wrestled uh, like sweet daddy sticky um the wolf man there was a uh, uh, big ben who was actually a guy that wrestled a bear Ah, oh, i've heard of that i heard of yeah and, and little uh the, there was uh well at the time we called them you know midget wrestlers yeah. So Little T was there and Lord Littlebrook and all these guys um, doing their autograph signing. So that was my first live show. And then my first WWF show at the time um, was, was um, in a town called Oshawa, which is just uh, due east of Toronto, about uh, maybe 30, 40 miles. Okay. Okay. Can you remember who was on that show when you saw it? Uh, I, yeah, there was Andre the Giant was, was the, the main draw. Wow. Um, wrestling at that time, leaping Lanny Poffo, who became the genius. Um, That's as, cool. uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the great thing about it was at the end, they had a 14 man battle royal, who, you know, obviously Andre won. Yeah. Um, I remember getting the tickets for, I want to say, my, it was my eighth or ninth birthday that I got the tickets for that show. Um, and it was a big deal because from where I lived, it was, you know, almost an hour drive to get to, to where, where the card was. 
Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, midweek <laughs> um, on, on a weeknight. So, so it, was, it, was, it was a big deal. But I just remember Andre, was, it was all about the giant. Yeah. Um, and then from there, my, my hometown, um, you know, maybe once every year or two, we would get house shows um, com- coming through the local, the local arena. Cool. What sort of what sort of era? What sort of years are we talking about? Sort of like sort of mid uh, to late eighties. Eighty-five. Th- so my biggest years as a fan would be sort of eighty-four, eighty-five through to when we went back to we moved back to Scotland in ninety-two. Um, so so basically right through the Hulkamania period. But I was always um, significantly more of a Macho Man fan. Okay. Growing cool. up. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was all about the madness. I. Um, I, I was I was sort of inspired or influenced by a member of my family to get into wrestling and I was kind of I was really jealous of him for a lot of reasons but also when it got to like Christmas he would get all the Ultimate Warrior stuff and I would be yeah. like, the Hulk Hogan stuff forced on me so I was right. kind of I knew who I preferred but it was almost like you know yeah I'll, I'll, I'll make out I'm a Hulk Hogan fan for now because that's obviously what all my stuff says but sure. the, the Warrior was just that more sort of exciting I suppose at the time. You know what? It was weird um, to this day. So I have a lot of friends growing up. You know, where I grew up is about, um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is it's about 60 miles east of Toronto and then about another 40 miles north. Okay. And so it's about an hour and a half drive. And I have so many friends that were at WrestleMania 6. And to this day, it's, I, I, ha- I have refused to watch it. <laughs> really? Uh, because Warrior won the belt. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I was necessarily the biggest Hogan fan. Um, and of course, in WrestleMania Seven, it was probably the first time. I mean, and I, I probably shouldn't admit this because I guess that I would have been about twelve or thirteen. But I mean, I cried when uh, Savage lost the retirement match against Warrior, and I just could yeah. never understand why the Warrior always won. So, um, sticking with your your live experiences, I know when we've sure. when we've connected just before, or sort of in the run up to planning this, there's a couple of events in particular that you have witnessed live and sort of sticking with this kind of era sort of the early 90s there's one in particular sure. i'm really intrigued about um if you want to see you you were there for one of paul barry's first appearances i was so it, my rationale would be that it's it, it had to be the first if not the second um appearance by paul bear after the, the televised taping earlier in the week uh, so I guess it was, it was about January 1990, I want to say. And uh, again, in Oshawa, Ontario, um, Saturday afternoon, matinee, and the uh, title card was actually Slaughter as champion against Warrior. Okay. And so yeah. it, was, it was a really big deal because it's like, why is the heavyweight champion, you know, in Oshawa? Like, yeah. it's not like it was Maple Leaf <laughs> Gardens in Toronto, which was <laughs> the Mecca or Skydome. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I just remember... Now, you know, Brother Love was the manager. Mm. Um, and, and here in Canada, on Saturdays, there used to be a program called WWF Superstars. Mm-hmm. And so it would be on maybe like noon or 1 or 2 p.m., uh, depending on the channel. And that's where you would get your weekly, because there was no Monday Night Raw back then. No. And so I had set my VCR to, to, to record that episode. And then we went to the show. And I just remember you know the, the i mean obviously as an adult now you understand they just crank the air conditioning for the undertaker's entrance <laughs> yeah you just feel this this coldness this cold air coming over you and the music hits and then here's this guy <laughs> and you know 
back in the day, I don't even remember ever, you know, reading Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine or anything. I don't even remember seeing Percy Pringle. So no. I had no reference to who this Paul Bear was. And I remember my dad laughing because he obviously completely got the joke behind the name. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I just looked and I'm going like, why, why are you smiling, you know, and, 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 you know, as a 12 or 13 year old being terrified at Undertaker being the yeah. first time I've seen this guy. Yeah. Uh, he'd only been on the scene for what, a couple of months yeah. uh, from Survivor Series. And, and so the whole arena was just kind of wondering, you know, what happened to Brother Love? Who's this, who's this, this guy? Yeah. And so it wasn't until that night when I got home and I'm watching and, and I'm, you know, I'm telling my friends, you know, who come over, I'm like, that's the guy, that's the guy that was there today. What the heck, when did they tape this? I thought this was the first time he was out. So, so that was it. So I've always had, um, I guess, a soft spot for, yeah. for Paul Bear and, and feeling like I'm in this exclusive club that knew about him before everybody else. That's amazing, really, because you can see that, I mean, when you saw them back then especially the undertaker i suppose would you did you get the feel that this guy was going to be something big i know it's probably a lot to ask considering you know how young I mean, you it, were at the time it but. was like i i was so back then um you know we had satellite to watch pay-per-views mm. and um friend of mine a uh, good friend of mine uh, always always had the satellite and i would go over and watch the pay-per-views i mean on survivor series we knew like yeah this is the next this is the this is the baddest guy in the WWF. <laughs> um, it just, it was immediate, right? Um, and the way he just absolutely demolished everybody and just seemed so unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they did that early part. I mean, I, I do love the character. I love how he's evolved over the years and he's kept relevant even when he was yeah. stepping back. But those early years from like, yeah, when he debuted through to like 92, 93, when he was just literally one speed at you yeah. there wasn't anything else about him not very animated but you stopped and watched you know when he became a little bit more human i thought <laughs> can he really cling on to the undertaker kind of yeah. anymore but um he's definitely stood the test of time it's completely when you go back and you watch him as as me mark only a few months before you don't really get a sense that he was about to become what he became and so and it's it's funny because as a canadian uh, prior to about 1992, we didn't really have, unless you had satellite TV, um, we didn't have access to like what, what will now we call NWA or, or WCW. Mm. So, um, you know, unless you were a really, really avid reader of the magazines, like I say, Pro Wrestling Illustrated or, or, or whatever, um, Canadians didn't really have a reference point on a lot of these guys that were coming from the territories into WWF mm. or like Mean Mark, who had been in, in you know, NWA. Yeah. Um, and even, for example, when Flair came to WWF in 1991-ish, yeah. um, again, it was kind of like, oh, I've seen him in the magazine and I know he's, he's from the other way, the other place, yeah. um, but we had just no reference. So that was the nice thing back then was if the character came in, that was the character. Yeah, he had no so preconception. I only ever knew him. Cool. Can you remember who he was against that night at all? I, I really don't, but it was a jobber. I, I, I just remember it wasn't uh... <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't really I mean I suppose everyone looked like jobbers to him back in those days he made Jimmy sure. look like one WrestleMania, sure. and, been, and then interest I mean back then too right it, that was the WWF model was your main event would be two guys you've actually heard of yeah and then it would be you know 
million dollar man against Joe Blow and <laughs> you know, Taker against Chad Curtis or whoever. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and interestingly enough, uh, a lot of local guys would be, would, would fill out the cards and house shows. Cool. That's yeah. I mean, it's, it, even if it's the only time they got that shot, you know, at least they can say I was up there. Yeah. You watch these guys on the old weeklies when there were enhancement talents out there. I think they could probably do a lot with them now, but it's all, it, 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 even the indie stars where these guys would have been wrestling back then, they're stars in their own right now because yeah. of so many of them have got on TV or streaming where everyone knows who they are. So Absolutely. Absolutely. They can't do it. But, but, um, so moving on, you've, you've also been to another noteworthy event in a, in a bit of a different generation. So I'll be interested yeah. to see sort of how this compares, but um <laughs> 2003 you at no way out yeah yeah this I wasn't was, uh, one apart from hogan and the rock this wasn't one yeah. that i can remember completely so i've just had to have a look at the the lineup just before we started the call actually sure. not a bad card really was it that was great it, it was in montreal and uh for me the, so i was actually teaching english in portugal during wrestlemania 18 which again was in toronto and again Pretty much every friend I had in, in, that went to WrestleMania 6 went to WrestleMania 18. Oh, man. And, uh, and I had been living in Toronto prior to, to moving over to Portugal to, to teach. So I missed, I missed the card. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, even now watching it on replay, I still think it's probably one of the best WrestleManias being the first one after the merger, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, so, so, you know, fast forward 11 months and there was a, there was a card in um, Montreal for No Way Out, uh, Montreal, Canada. So from where we were, it was about a five, five and a half hour drive. And we says, no, we're getting tickets and we're going to go and we're going to spend the weekend and we're going to check it out. Awesome. Uh, followed up with a Coldplay concert uh, the next night. <laughs> okay. Why not? Why not? Make a weekend of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just, I don't even, I mean, I know I've seen, so many interviews with The Rock and Hogan talking about how electrified the, the, the room was in Toronto mm. or the stadium in Toronto. But I'll be honest, it's, um, you know, as a Toronto sports fan, for example, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty laissez-faire crowd. Wow. Um, but the French Canadians, it's, it's almost like, you know, being at an English football match. Oh, okay. It's just oh. insanity and loud and fun. And it's just got a whole European vibe about it. Right. So, so that night, you know, and you've, you've still got, you know, 25,000 fans, half for rock, half for Hogan. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just it, it, like it, to the, my girlfriend at the time, anyway, she actually started covering her ears because the cheering was so loud in the building. That's amazing. Yeah. So who were you rooting for in that one? Hogan. Uh, you know, I, as, as, as much as I didn't quite, I mean, yeah, of course, everybody loved Hogan as a kid that grew up with Hulkamania. But again, I was always more, you know, I kind of liked the bad guys or I definitely liked Savage more. But mm. um, man, once he turned to Hollywood Hogan in 96, I, like I was, that was great. Yeah, I, 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 I think he had tremendous guts. I mean, they all did, I think, to pull that off. But I mean, sure. he, he really, he needed that. Um, absolutely to 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 keep i mean he was becoming a bit of a laughing stock over there and all of a sudden he just reinvented the wheel you know in terms of wrestling so, you know and to go from the biggest the biggest hero of the 80s to the biggest villain of the 90s yeah. is quite the accomplishment right it's impressive it's imp did um had you seen hogan before live that was the first before. time i got to see him live 
did he did he live up to expectations um I mean, it was fine. It, you know, it, 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 in terms of the rustling, it, you know, The Rock obviously carried him at that point. Mm. Um, but in terms of just selling it, yeah, um, and the whole thing, and you know, there was a whole kerfuffle, and the lights went out, and you know, of course, everybody, because we were, quite frankly, um, it was a Sunday night, and we were kind of in the middle of a, a bit of a, a snowstorm, and the lights go out in the middle of the match, and everybody actually thought the power went out. Okay. Not realizing, obviously, that it was a work. Right. And, and of course, just this pandemonium of like, what the heck is going on? And uh, and you've got the lights all, you know, all the, the lighters and the, the whatever going, going on and and, um, and just the way they sold it, right? Because Hogan took the match mm. uh, with the with the ref interference from, I, I want to say it was the introduction of, I want to say Rene Dupree, who okay. um, had, had become one of the, that was his first introduction to to a wwf or wwe by that by then crowd right so yeah i mean but but yeah he he, you know he definitely walked out as a as as the bigger villain than going in i i you can't i I don't feel you when he went back to wwf you can't compare him to what he was before because you know obviously time doing what it does um elsewhere on the cards i don't know if anything would live up to that but you've got matches like triple h against scott steiner which I know got panned at the Royal Rumble. Do you really think they needed to do it again? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's funny because for me personally, I mean, I I, I love Big Papa Pump. Okay. Um, I think he was completely and utterly wasted, just a total wasted opportunity uh, after they came. As as is the case with most guys, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, Bagwell and 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 yeah. and uh, DDP. They're just you know I think it's 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 unfortunate that I think they still had a lot to contribute. Just to, so, uh, to, to wrap it up a little bit, one um, obvious question, I suppose. So your experiences that you've talked about, firstly, so you've seen a house show in yep. 1990 or 91, and then you've seen a pay-per-view in 2003. How different was it? <laughs> <laughs> Very obvious question, because I'm pretty sure it would have been, it's two polar opposites, but, but what, what would sure. strike you as sort of the main difference in between, you know, between those two eras? You know what the the I guess there was definitely more of a mystique right in the eighties, um, and you know, and and I I look back and and uh, there were characters right. So you know, looking at like the junkyard dog and everybody singing and dancing when another one bites the dust hits the hits the the the, the sound system, um, and and you know, seeing the warrior running to the and and now I just find whatever. You know, they just all come to the ring. They're all just yeah. like, nobody has, I mean, like, you know, when you look today, um, to me, I still think, and maybe this is the old school guy in me, but I think the fiend is the best character in WWE because he's a character. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you look at everybody else and they just kind of, it's just kind of boring, you know? Um, but even from say the, the early eighties to, to the early two thousands between house shows and, and, and that is, um, the, the entertainment level with respect to everything else but the story in the ring has improved. Yeah. So, you know, cutting the promos on a big screen, the music, the entertainment, the lights, the sound, um, it's, it's a whole production, right? Whereas before it was just the wrestlers told the story. Yeah. Did it seem like more of a, even though, you know, we all know it wasn't strictly sport, but did it sure. feel like more of a sporting event back then and sort of a theater production now? 
it, you, that probably sums it up exactly, right? It's uh, you were going there to see to see the story, to see the guys fight, yeah. uh, to see your hero win, to see the bad guy lose, <laughs> or boo if the bad guy won. Yeah. Uh, now it's 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 the whole thing's just spectacle. Of the final guest on this instalment, I got to sit down with Paul McGrath, who, as well as being a fellow Brit, is also a fellow podcaster and a, uh, a massive wrestling fan. So this is just a just a small snippet of a uh, a very intriguing conversation that I uh, that I had with him. So I was uh, I remember it since uh, the first event I remember was WrestleMania Nine, uh, or the build up to WrestleMania Nine. Uh, which was obviously the Bret Hart, Owen Hart, uh, Yokozuna, Lexu Luger kind of era. So that's where I first remember. I mean, I remember prior to the Hogan and Macho, but the real actual pay yeah. that I remember was that one. Um, I always had a love for the theatre of it. Um, the style of telling the story and the good guys and the bad guys, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think that WrestleMania 9, yeah, the, other, the 8, it was 8. It was, yeah, it was, no, hold on. I'm it was, it was WrestleMania... 10 with yeah, it was nine i remember yes it was just 29 and i remember because i remember staying up on the sofa um really late to watch it and it was awful and i remember <laughs> being on 10 at the time and i'm thinking oh i stayed up for this long this is so rubbish mm. um and i kind of dropped out probably after wrestlemania 11 i dropped out for a, a good couple of years and um, you start getting more into football and to girls and other stuff and it's not cool to like wrestling so you no. kind of retreat a little bit into into that but my brother and my best pal, they, they, they watched it. And my best pal used to come to my house and watch it with my brother, who was like eight years younger than me. But he used to do have Sky Sports and they used to watch it. And I remember sitting in the sitting room, I was doing something like a, reading a book or doing some homework. And on the background, it was Austin and Rock and it was, it was Capital Carnage. Um, and oh, it was a Vinnie Jones one. Was that Mayhem in Manchester? It could. Uh, no, Mayhem in Manchester, I don't think it was televised. But no, I think you're right. Capital Carnage rings a bell. I Capital remember Carnage. watching that. And Vinnie Jones came out and I was like, what's he doing? And then my mate was telling me, oh, he's doing this and this is The Rock and this is Austin. And all of a sudden, I clicked back into it. Oh, cool. And it was just like nonstop from there. I used to queue up. Um, in, uh, I went to Sheffield events, Liverpool, Manchester, Norwich. And I used to queue up for about a week outside the venues. And there was a cluster of about 12 or 15 of us that you would meet every six months to go to a show and every six months to queue up for the next set of tickets. Oh. And it was brilliant. It was, it was such a good the community. This is obviously before the internet, but the community was amazing. So mm. we used to rock up. Um, at Owls Court was the, 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 one of the best ones because they had an underground area. Yeah. And because they didn't want people out on the street, they used to go underground. It was generally quite cold when we used to go. So it was the best place to have some actual um, roof over your head, apart from yeah. the rain. And we used to go there on probably a Monday evening and queue up until the Friday where the tickets were released to get front row seats. And then you had that, the group of ticket touts that everyone knew the ticket touts, but no one could admit were the ticket touts and they yeah. wouldn't really speak to anyone. But it was a real collectiveness about us all. Um, and obviously it went online and it ruined it because it was just, you didn't have to queue up anymore yeah. so I, yeah i used to queue, queue up and used to get tickets and um when i got to about 16 i think it was in sheffield was the first one i went to i stayed in the hotel the wrestler stayed in because i got into that you know okay. mark mode where yeah. i was like oh you know let's find out where they're staying and the rumors that the group of us would all kind of social around oh, let's stand this one let's stand this one and then we found some we stayed there um so it was nice because on two occasions we went to the hotel and had drinks with the wrestlers after wow um 
because uh, quite, quite a few of the girls will be known as ring rats now. Um, were part of the group that used to hang up. So Stevie Richards used to have quite a good relationship with a girl called Anne Harrod. Um, so when she was in the U, he was in the UK, he used to hook up with tickets. And so she called it, let us know what hotel they was at. So I was really into it. Um, and then at 15, I started training to do um, Greco-Roman wrestling. And I did that for 18 months. Wow. Uh, and I transitioned to pro wrestling. Um, I never had a, a competitive match, but I really got the bug of like the movement and yeah. again, the excitement behind it. Um, but in my first, I mean, third training session, I took a power bomb and I fractured my sternum, dislocated my shoulder and broke a toe. And I had work the next day as a football coach. So obviously needing parts of my body to be able to coach was quite important. Yeah. Uh, and I, I done about three more sessions off that. And then I thought I, I can't risk doing this. It's just no. too, too much. But I worked with Jody, uh, Jody Fleish, um, who's an independent wrestler. I've been around for a long time. Um, he worked at the, yeah, he's worked at the gym uh, that I used to go to in, in the West way. So yeah, I've always had a connection with him. I've just, yeah, loved it ever since the, big event we went to um was wrestlemania 25 as like the big granddaddy of them all um and that was the 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 last one we went to and the last WWE one went to at least so that's that's a good segue into what i was i was going to ask you about actually so out of um i've spoken to a few people so far and they've they've all seen you know varying shows you know some have seen house shows and pay-per-views and that and I, uh, I interviewed Radzi a couple of weeks ago from uh, NXT UK. And one thing he said is you have to see a WrestleMania. And I mean, you can probably vouch for that then. You know, how, how we see how big WrestleMania is on the screen, but what's it like in person? Do you know, do you know what? Um, I've been to WrestleMania 25. My brother went to one uh, a couple of years later. I've been to WrestleMania 29 or 30 you might have gone to. With the brandy... Uh, Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt, where they had the silly CGI on the bloody oh. canvas. Yeah. Um, it might be later, but that's the one he went to. And um, but I probably wouldn't now. I wouldn't be able to go to the two night one if they had done that. I mean, it's, it's it's so intense. Going to WrestleMania mm-hmm. is so intense as a fan because we went to Texas and we did uh, five nights, and we thought, oh, we'll go and do this, we'll go and do that, maybe see a bit of this. You, you, it, you can't do anything. You just right. sucked into WrestleMania. Um, this was before NXT was around. So we booked to see Mania and we'd done the, at the time it was the platinum package. Um, no, it was the gold package. It was the one behind, it was the gold package. And you didn't get the seat and it wasn't guaranteed front row. It was the tier behind that because the price was quite dramatic. Mm. But looking at the price of my brother paid and what they are now, I mean, we paid about 900 pounds for yeah. tickets, flights, accommodation. I think now it's like thousands of pounds. It's quite so, reasonable, yeah. Yeah, it was, I, I couldn't believe how cheap it was in what you got. And that was the access, the Hall of Fame, an autograph sign-in, um, WrestleMania, and uh, there was one other thing. It was the, it was like another signing thing that you can go to. We didn't right. go to that one because we went to the Ring of Honor event the night before. Oh, okay. so, um, so, when you have WrestleMania, it becomes a real cl- uh, uh, an area where wrestling just takes over the whole city. So you've got WWE events. Now you have WWE, NXT, New Japan. Back then it was Ring of Honor. So you had a Ring of Honor. There was Booker T on his um, a sign-in. So basically it was like a Legends of Wrestling sign-in event. And Sting was there. Kevin Nash, Jake the Snake, Mick Foley, DDP, Chrissy Hemi. There was so many people that were there. 
and we just found it by chance. And it was like a hundred dollars to go in, then you paid for your autographs. Yeah. So the, the day we get in, first thing we're doing that, and you're queuing up and you're seeing these guys, and then you have a bit, bit, bit of food, and you think, well, I've got to be up in the morning, because you've got access in the morning, and it's our chance to go and see a signing with three people. So you're up in the morning, you're doing that. Then in the afternoon, you go, right, we'll have a bit of lunch. There's a, an exhibition on, we'll go and see that. So then it was the Hall of Fame the next night. And you think, right, well, we can't go out tonight because we're going to do the Hall of Fame. So it just consumes you. Um, and then we luckily enough, we got to see a Ring of Honor show the night before Mania, which was the crowd was electric, yeah. just brilliant. So in terms of around WrestleMania, brilliant. Mm-hmm. There was so much to do as a wrestling fan as a, as a mark. And it was just phenomenal just to have so much knowledge given to you. And being in a, in a place where everyone's on the same page. Because obviously when you go to wrestling events, you kind of go in, you go out, and you kind of you're traveling there, but no one really is a wrestling fan necessarily. It's going there. Everyone is consumed by it. Yeah. Um, the event itself, it was very, very, very long, and that was only a four-hour show. Yeah, it's but about seven we, hours or something else, Stu, isn't it? With a, all the frills on it. It's hurt. I, it definitely hurt the, the event because when we went, uh, the pre-show. A couple of matches we kind of was there for it but we wasn't really engaged in it because we wanted to kind of save ourselves i've never been a fan of outdoor arenas having events of, of wrestling because the light part of it where it's like doesn't feel like a real big event yeah when the dust sets in and you get that, that i think that's why wrestlemania 8 i had such a sorry 9 i was so unhappy with it because it just felt like it was in daytime it felt I, I found that really weird that was the first one again that i've seen outside and i think the bit that really sticks with me is the early part of the card where like you've got the Steiners and the head shrinkers and it's broad daylight and you can see yeah you know it's like there's a breeze and stuff as they're standing there and the hair's going away it's just it's, it's weird it's it, it drew me to it. yeah it was it, it attracted me to it in a way because it was different but mm. yeah as an event it gets slated for one reason or another i've heard as well like the acoustics you lose a lot of that you lose a lot of the crowd from you know in an out, outdoor one um and there's some of the some of, the, some of the wrestlers I've heard who have actually said they it was different for them because they don't they draw on that noise and then they can. Yeah. do you pick do you, do you pick that up as a as a fan did it did it just not have the same sort of atmosphere as being inside I tell you what it was yes and no English fans are the most apart from I would say Philadelphia but back in the day you went and saw a, a WWE event a live show a TNA and over here, it was three hours of intense. The fans would be on it from the start to the end, and you were drained after. You was physically and mentally and just vocally out of it. Yeah. And it was three hours. And um, when you watch shows in America, you used to get the odd bit, but it was nowhere near as good for the crowd. So when we went to Maine, obviously, I think 80,000, 90,000 people there. It wasn't quiet mm. because it, it's so vast, there's so many people. But there was a lot of lulls where the people were still making noise, but you're thinking it's noisy, but I can't really hear it. It's not that, that apart from the Taker HBK fight, which was just the whole match was just up there for yeah. noise the whole way through. But you do sense that bit of loss to the its intimacy. The Ring of Honor event the night before had, I don't know, two and a half, three thousand people. And I would say the rabidness and the intensity of that was different to Mania. Two very different experiences. One was seeing, like, going to a pop concert, and one was going to an event where 
you felt every every move you you felt everything that was going on from start to finish so it's just different different feelings i suppose and it's very much in the making of wrestling and sports entertainment yeah. I, I would almost say in, in those two audiences it sounds like a trip to wrestlemania it sounds like just uh it's like planning a trip to disney world you know with everything that's going on yeah for yeah yeah it's, yeah, I, just, I mean, I now definitely... said it's so expensive, but we, we, when we got to the arena, because we had this, the floor seats, we wasn't too sure where we were going, and I, my, my brother and my best pal, and we got there, and I knew the seats were quite good, they had no idea, because I said, oh, they'll be okay, you know, we'll be mid-range, and I knew they'd be quite decent, and we come out at the stadium, you're right at the top, basically, right at the top, and we're like, oh, he's like, oh, are we here? And I was like, no, 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 we're not here, we're further down. I'm walking down to like barrier number two. He's like, oh, we here. I was like, no, no, more down. <laughs> Done this about five times. And we got down to near enough the floor. He's like, we're not here, are we? I was like, yeah, we're just there on the floor. And he's like, how much do we pay for this? I was like, yeah, I know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? How much we pay? That's awesome. um, it was brilliant. And being, see, I'm not a VAT fan because when I went to the UK shows, I was always the first two rows, always, or I wouldn't go. Same as football. I like to sit in certain areas in football pitches or UFC or boxing. Otherwise, I just don't see the point of going. No. Because I want to be able to visualise and see everything that's happening. When I went to Wembley 92 at SummerSlam, I was, I don't know, eight or nine. I was in the rafters. You know, every, you know you, there was ants wrestling. But the intensity and that feeling and the memories, because of the age you are, mm. is completely different. But once you go to a wrestling event and you sit front row, yeah, it's very hard to go anywhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned SummerSlam. So I, I am... Uh, my cousin went to SummerSlam 92, and I've said it many times on this podcast, the one thing that I'm very, very jealous of, that he was there. And I'm trying to get him on for this show. Um, I think it might be, it might be another, another show that I end up doing with him. But uh, that is all, I've always wanted to talk to someone who was there, you know, because yeah. that event, even you watch it back now, and the electricity, I don't know whether it's just because, you know, as British wrestling fans are very proud of the fact that such an event was there i mean compare that i suppose to wrestlemania what was that like but what was it like on that night knowing you were seeing whether you knew at the time one of the greatest wrestling matches in history with brett and the bulldog you know what it's i'm, I'm disappointed i was so young i think yeah. is the answer because i mean i didn't know i was going to the event i remember seeing the build-up to it on tv and everything and then i remember on the day my dad and um, my dad's best friend was, oh, we're just going to go somewhere. I was like, oh, okay, fine. We're going. I was like, we'll get this soon. We'll get this soon. And then like, we got up to Wembley. I was like, oh, my God. It's not we're here. I was like, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we were in the bleachers. I mean, we were miles yeah. up at the top, just said. But I, I remember it so vividly. I remember when The Undertaker came out and the dong. Yeah. And it was like shivers. And like, even my dad, who was like, it was all fake or whatever. We were like, oh, I've got hair standing up here. You know, it was really... The intensity yeah. was amazing. And I've watched that pay-per-view back so many times because it, when it got released on a UK video, it didn't include the dark matches. Um, so it was... It had extra matches on there that you didn't get on the American one, but they were all... The, the order was completely mismatched. Like you'd get... Yeah. Where it was like nearly dark and then you'd go back to broad daylight again. So I don't yeah. That. But yeah, no, I... I very bizarre. When I, I look back, I don't know if I saw an American recording of it or I read the review or something, and I was like, where the hell are all these matches gone that I've seen on? Because I'm trying to think which ones they were. Like Jim Even the DVD was... release, when Silver Vision released the DVD, it didn't have dark matches. No, was that like the ones where you got the six-man with Jim Duggan and Bushwhackers and Mountie yeah. and Nasty Boys and uh, yeah. what else did you have? 
I don't know if El Matador and Papa Shunga was a dark match or whether that was actually dark on the match, yeah, that was yeah. dark match, yep. I like those and ones. And they won the Division 1, and I was like, I'm sure there was more matches than this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And then when the network, I think, even on the WWE Network, I don't even know if they're all on that one on the SummerSlam version. I so I think you've lost quite back. a few good matches there. But yeah, the, 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 I mean, I remember afterwards, you could have a picture of Bulldog, but he wasn't there. It was right. a superimposed screen that you put your arm around like this, and... It was like the photo got taken. You're standing next to a British bulldog standing like that. And you're like, oh, I met British bulldog. I met him. Yeah, I met him. It was, my, oh, and it was just like, you know, it's just Brilliant. bonkers. But it was one of the greatest matches, I think. In, yeah. in, I've, I've been very fortunate because at WrestleMania 25, I believe it was the best match ever at WrestleMania, which was Undertaker, Shawn Michaels won. Yeah. And then obviously at SummerSlam was the greatest match in SummerSlam history and arguably in wrestling was with Hart and, and Bulldog. Yeah. So I've been very fortunate to be at two fantastic matches. I think maybe I should go to more events and be more world-class matches that I, I can I think, be I part think, of. I think your, your presence probably inspires them to have good yeah. matches. So I, I, would, I would suggest you get back out there so that they can return <laughs> the rubbish that they've got at the minute. But um, going back to WrestleMania for a second, um, so before we dissect the rest of the... I won't go into like detail with the rest of the card, just really what you remember of it, but this being like a classic wrestling podcast, obviously what I, the one thing I do try and tune into at some point, you know, at least keep up with each year is the, the hall of fame just to obviously see, you know, who of my era were, you know, is going in there. Who was it your year when you went to see that? Um, Austin was the main person. Um, there was Coco Beware, Steve Austin, Harley Race, Harley Race, I think was possibly uh, as well. It was, it was quite a decent... Uh, it was funny with the, with, with the Hall of Fame because it was still quite newish being this whole... having the fans in attendance. Mm. But on the letter it says, and quite clearly, it's very strict. It was like, suit and tie and pants must be worn or won't be admitted to the event. So I brought a suit out with me because that, that was, it was really clear. That's what mm. you've got to wear. So I got dressed up thinking, right, I'll put a suit on and a tie. And, you know, it's obviously a, quite a formal event. And I got to the, the arena and I was like, well, no one's wearing, they're all wearing like jeans and hoodies and t-shirts and it was in Texas. So it was boiling hot. Oh, no. um, and I was like, this is a bit. And then I was literally, there was me and my mate, we're the only two people in there wearing anything close to what they told us to wear on the, on the entry card. So I don't know why they did that, but it was, a, again, it was a good, a good experience. It was yeah. um, a long night again, because it's kind of a, it's a, about a six hour event. Um, from start to finish, so it's it's again it's true. You go, you finish. We thought, oh, we'll be done by half eight. We're gonna have a, a bit of a uh, a drink, and then we'll just head back. People got out there, got caught to eleven, and we were just shattered <laughs> after that because you're still cheering and yeah. listening. That's why I said it is an amazing experience, and it's but it's exhausting, very very. And now you've got Raw and NXT and everything else that goes alongside it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's blown up. I think looking back, I made this comment, I think, when I, again, the other week when I was uh, talking to Radzi about WrestleMania. Going back to WrestleMania 1 and to the, the, the first few, it was very, very obvious that, that he was trying to amalgamate wrestling with celebrity. Um, he, he's had a few pitfalls in the middle where it's a bit questionable, but I, it's almost like now he's taken over and he's putting on some Broadway or West End worthy you know, see it's a production every year. Yeah. You know, so he's almost crossed over. This is very smart, but he, he's made WrestleMania something way bigger than I ever thought it 
I thought it would be. I mean, it was huge when I was growing up, but yeah, yeah, yeah. When you say intense, well, the, I think that's 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 probably the impression I get. The other thing is, I think if you when you go to WrestleMania, the amount of fans that have they've gone for that one event um, and from all around the world, they come in. It's a bit. I mean. They go, it's their Super Bowl in terms of think a spectator, a spectator. Mm. but in terms of, I don't think of any other event or any other, anything like it brings so many people from other countries for one day or one event. Yeah. And on top of that, I think what's quite impressive is how many fans watch it, pay for it on pay-per-view, go to the event, who are not wrestling fans anymore, but they go in and dip their toe in for WrestleMania because it, it, it is always going to be a good event. Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite in, 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 in what he's done in Chief. That is, is quite impressive with what he's done. You, you are spot on. I, I remember watching ITV, and again, at 2 a.m. in the morning. I mean, it used to be on after Get Stuffed and Gladiators on the ITV was WCW. Yeah. And obviously, you had to record it and, you know, time it to get it right. Yeah. And I remember the first memory of WCW was uh, Ron Simmons winning the world championship because so, it was yeah. yeah yeah the first thing and i was like oh and, and it was a black person as well which it was quite strange at that time in in wrestling as i was like, oh this is quite different mm. and then you had van vader with his big um mastodon head it's scary uh, sting. i was it was amazing and I, I went to see them at the royal albert hall and that would have been god oh, it was 93 i think it might have been okay they came over um it wasn't the, it wasn't the dreaded 97 i think they came over and it was and uh, no one came with them it was like literally they right. ring crew and bob from around the corner they got to wrestle <laughs> there was loads of people up in arms about it it was sting was there kevin nash was there wow. it was but he was Oz at the time when he was there oh wow um, okay yeah going back when it was they came over but yeah wsw i'm I've, i'm a big fan of wsw i'm a bit of a uh, yeah wsw head a lot of my friends used to mock me about it you know because the whole run-ins and the endings yeah. but I've watched on the network now, WW, and I get angry at how they went out of business. Oh, Just it's still now, and I've read all the every book on WW, the death of WW. Um, there's an interesting one that, uh, about the finances and how the deal of WW and Nitro, how it all worked, um, and that's really good because it goes down the breaks. A lot of stuff that Eric Bischoff has said comes out in this book to be quite truthful in terms of how the uh, company got bought out and people wanted the foul and it just mm. ruined the company. And it really angers me that, that Bischoff never got his hands on it. But again, that's kind of going off. But I was a big WCW fan. I, I think competition is good. It's Once he bought WCW, wrestling was dead and mm. sports entertainment was the only thing left, really. And I think he's done. And that's fine. He makes billions of pounds. As a businessman, you can't argue with anything he does. No. doesn't need to appeal to the fans because that people are going to watch it for what it is and sell merchandise on the back of it. Listen, mate, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Before we wind it up, um, you are a fellow podcaster. Um, and I just want to give you the floor. You know, I, I've started listening to your podcast. It is great. And anyone in the UK who is a, a football fan, a fan of the Premier League, again, from this era, needs to listen to yours. But yeah, you know, a couple of minutes, just, you know, plug. Where, where can people yeah. find you and, and why should they listen to you? <laughs> So we're on Spotify at the Phoenix Five Show, um, same as iTunes. I think we put it in the Phoenix Five Show, F-I-V-E. Um, it should come up on there. And it's just uh, five of us all went to school together. Um, and we remember, obviously, again, the best era in everything was the 90s. Um, and during the first lockdown, we had 
we all kind of had our WhatsApp group before, but it really excelled in that period. We were doing football quizzes, name games, all this stuff came up and the banter on it is just, you know, it's, it's, you couldn't say the stuff we sound, it's horrendous. And the pictures that come across, but one of the guys just said, oh, we're really good, we can record this because this is like, you know, so funny and for our own memory to keep it. Mm. So I said, oh, let me have a look into it. We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll have a look and we'll just choose some topics in the 90s. And I went online and looked and there wasn't really anyone doing anything on football in the 90s. So I said, well, let's, let's keep it to 90s and see what we can come up with. And yeah, just, it came from there. And we've, we've done, we didn't want to do just Premier League. We wanted to do a bit more about football in general because Serie A was quite big at the time with Football Italia. So we, we kind of said, well, let's start off with a 90s podcast about things we miss and what were better in the 90s. We've done like one in Serie A, which is Batistuta versus Del Piero. We've done a Champions League special. We've, we've, we've just recorded the SPL uh, Rangers Celtic episode, uh, which uh, drops on Wednesday. But yeah, it's kind of, again, a bit like you saying, it's not about reviewing a match or a show necessarily. It's more of us just sitting down and, and talking about an, a topic and what our memories are. Obviously, a bit of research goes into it because you have to get some facts and figures so you, mm. you're not talking completely nonsense. Yeah. But yeah, so if you like something that's kind of five guys who just sit down and talk about what they remember of the 90s, then I think it's a, it's a, it's a good podcast to listen to. Brilliant. Well, no, I, I, can, I can safely say as well, it is definitely entertaining. Um, well, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on over, anyone listening to this, especially in the UK, you need to check it out. It's, it's uh, brilliant. Listen, mate, thank you again. This has been awesome. I can't wait to do it again. You're definitely going to be one that I'm going to have back in some form or fashion. Fantastic. But um, well, I look hang- forward to uh, getting you back for the next show. Good cool, luck. cool. No worries. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.